listening to the Testudo Times Podcast, the official podcast of SB Nation's Maryland Terrapins Colossus. Episode 146 of the Testudo Times podcast, where even though we are going to start by talking about signing day and football-related things, I do want to send commiserations to the family of Tanner Borkhart. As he learned last night, sometimes you eat the bear and sometimes the bear eats you. In this case, the bear was Bruno Fernando. Didn't we learn earlier this season, Thomas, you don't challenge Bruno Fernando at anything because if you do, you're going to lose? Yeah, basically. I mean, only Michigan State has gotten away with it all year. Um, Wisconsin came out alive against him but lost that first game. Yeah, but Ethan Happ got eliminated during most yeah. of the first half in that game. And then and Tanner Borkhardt, I think, has been eliminated for a few weeks. Uh, I think he's been eliminated from society. I mean, the good news is people are talking about him, so he has not been officially eliminated, derezzed. But, I mean, that the, the Lamar, that was just... If you were a Nebraska fan, it's already been kind of gruesome, and that was just more gruesome. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about that is all the angry Nebraska fans afterwards is like, all right, this is Bruno Fernando. A, did you expect him to go like that? And B, Borchardt was all around his ankle and still got dunked on. So who's really at fault here? I was about to say, like, literally, he gave up one of the greatest flops I've ever seen, and then you respond by dunking it over somebody. Now, the stepping on and over, again, we're Maryland fans. We all kind of are, even if we cover these teams. And let's be honest. There are takes about that that let's not get into. But, again, don't go up and do that to Bruno Fernando. You saw what happened to that Rutgers kid earlier this year. He tried to steer Bruno Fernando down, and he had, like, two points the rest of the game. You don't do that to him. I thought that that was a lesson that everybody just learned and had taken into account in the Big Ten this year, but no one has, apparently. Here, you can challenge Bruno Fernando. If you come at the King, you best not miss. I was about to say, if you're going to challenge Bruno Fernando... You might want to be good at it, or otherwise, well, you're going to be in a gift for the rest of your life. And you know what? Do you want to be memed for the rest of your life? I don't think so. However, we will get to basketball in a second. As Thomas was saying before we started recording this, it's the only show in basketball season where football would take precedent. And signing day has not really had the same sort of importance since the December signing period came into being. Uh, But for Maryland, because of extenuating circumstances and coaching hires and many other random things, this was a very important signing day, and it turned out to be a very interesting one because, Thomas, Maryland signed a Cajun guy. Not only a Cajun guy, a Cajun quarterback. A four-star Cajun quarterback that they recruited in two weeks. In two weeks. I think that— Mike Loxley is a wizard thing? We have to do that yet. Uh, I mean, it's a little early for it. Um, well, we'll, we'll see what he does with the 2020 weeks. class. Well, yeah, I mean, this is the group that came together late is definitely an impressive haul for as little time as it took. Um, I think a lot of the guys have at least a chance to be contributors this year, and at worst, our depth guys immediately who can become really solid players down the road. The, the class as a whole, you know, it's top 60 in the country and not much better. You know, it's 17 guys, 15 of them are three stars. Um, a couple are high three stars in that group. The Getting the quarterback, Lance Lejean, 
really just changes the whole outlook of the class. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we have to start with this because, of course, Kasim Hill is presumably not going to play at all next year because he's torn his ACL again. And the other two guys on the depth chart are Max Borton Slogger, who we all like as a person, as a quarterback. Maybe not quite what Maryland needs. And then Tyler DeSue, who was a freshman last year and will be a sophomore this year. And you'd hope if Maryland case, you don't have to see him play. But this is Maryland, so he probably will because Maryland quarterbacks have no luck. And so getting a four-star in two weeks, somebody who was not on your radar until two weeks ago, is incredibly impressive. And if you get a four-star quarterback, sometimes they don't work out, and other times you could turn into something pretty special. And let's be fair, that's kind of what Maryland needs. They just need bodies at the position, and to get a four-star body in this scenario is something that you couldn't have really imagined happening three weeks ago. So I'm going to hop in two things. Uh, one, don't forget Piggy, Tyrell Pigram in the quarterback room. I think he still gives the starter's job a good run for his money. It was implied and, that he would be the starter this year. I was talking yeah. about depth, but yes. It is the and, end of the pig, of course, so that's good news. Yeah. And then to pick up Lejean, not uh, again, in just two weeks is part of the reason you bring in Loxley. He just has that type of recruiting clout that not many have. There's nothing much more to say about that. I mean, it, it, it's great to see Maryland being able to do this, especially when their quarterback commit that they did have went to Syracuse and they just needed bodies. You don't want to walk on quarterback playing in almost any situation. And with Maryland's luck at quarterback, I don't think I've seen a Maryland football season where there hasn't been at least one quarterback injury of some kind. You need bodies. And this is a Mike Loxley guy. The four guys that are ahead of him are not Mike Loxley guys. Now, let's be fair, he's going to probably – support most of them and I think he's going to be really happy to have Tyrell Pigram the way that he'd been playing towards the end of last season but you need bodies and this is probably one of the best bodies you could get on short notice and Thomas I think that's the headliner of the class not only just because it's a really good quarterback prospect but also he's from New Orleans and when does Maryland ever get prospects from New Orleans you know I was going to prepare for this podcast by studying Ed Orgeron to do an Ed Orgeron impression but I couldn't get it done in time but by the start of next football season, if he does have to play, I promise you I'll have an Ed Orgeron impression down pat for you all. As a friend of mine told me, you just have to put marbles in your mouth, but I don't have any marbles lying around, so I can't do that. Uh, the rest of this class is also very interesting because, of course, they had to cobble this together, and again, two weeks, when they were also cobbling together a coaching staff, and there are a lot of intriguing prospects in there. So, Thomas, give us the headliners of this class and the players that you are most intrigued by, and I always frame it not necessarily down the line, because we aren't necessarily long-term thinkers anymore when we think about college football. For next season, 2019, the players that could have the most impact besides the quarterback are? To me, the first one that comes to mind is Anthony Booker, um, a very late addition. He, he committed on Tuesday and signed on Wednesday. He's at a position that he has a very real chance to play right away. Um, his, ironically enough, his nickname is Tank, and the same night that he committed, Maryland lost Tank Land, the cornerback, to, to Liberty, places. which, a, a bit of an interesting sort of recruitment there that we can get into in a second, um, but Booker is a pretty solid prospect at a position of dire need. 
because Maryland loses Byron Cowart, Jesse Nabonum, doesn't really gain that much back. Um, doesn't have a lot of experienced bodies at that position. So um, Booker is one who I, I would circle as a guy who can compete and play right away. Isaiah Hazel is the four-star wide receiver. Um, Maryland's got a lot of good wide receivers, but you bring a four-star like that into the room, guys take notice. They got a lot of different defensive backs. They got some good linebackers late. The punter is I was interesting. About to say the punter. Yeah. Keep an eye out for the punter. So Maryland doesn't have one until now. Kinda, sorta. So my understanding right now is that Wade Lee's actually wants to play, but there is some sort of academic thing. I'm guessing it's just whether or not he can get into a certain grad program or whatever. Um, like he's not listed on the roster anymore. And like Pecorella is a walk on Anthony Pecorella from New York, the new guy. Um, if, if Lee's ends up, you know, not eligible to play for Maryland, I would imagine um, he, he gets on scholarship because he's, as far as I know, a reasonably decent recruit for that position. And there's only one other guy listed as a punter on the roster. So, Well, it's not going to be an Aussie punter that Miami signed who literally looks like the most perfect human being in the history of Miami-Dade County that there has ever been. You know, if punters were Pokemon, Wade Lees would evolve into that guy. (laughs) I'm trying to think what Pokemon that would be, but I was not prepared for this question, and now I have to think about it, and I'm not going to be able to give you a proper answer, and I've played a lot of Pokemon games in my time, and that's a damn shame. You should have brought this up before the podcast. Anyway... (laughs) Well, it's it's Australia, and he's tatted to hell. I mean, it's amazing how Miami that is, and I love it. I might watch Miami games just for the punter now next year, because that's amazing. Uh, Lamar, what about uh, players that you wanted to talk about from this class? It's 17. It's not particularly deep. It is not the worst in the Big Ten, and you don't get any bonus points for guessing who is below them. They are 12th. Uh, who do you, would you uh, like to single out as uh, interesting members of this class vis-a-vis next season? Um... I like Levante Gator. He uh, needs some bodies at the cornerback position for sure, and they grabbed a couple defensive backs. I like Gator just because I've enjoyed following him on Twitter this past year. Uh, but I think he also comes in at like a position of need. And Cam Blout's an interesting, another local guy, all met, uh, coming in at linebacker and could also end up playing a pass rushing role. Uh, he Loxley talked about it at his press conference. Like they came in, they needed some backs, they needed some pass rushers, and I think both of those guys could end up playing a role this season. And it's, of course, when we talk about these transfers, we also mention you get JUCO transfers in there, but you don't necessarily get other kinds of transfers. The normal transfers and grad transfers and Keandre Jones and Sons Boyd do not count in these rankings, which if they did would bump up this class a little bit more and. Those are incoming players, and Thomas, there are still holes on this roster. Some of them could be filled with uh, players that have not yet committed, and we'll get to that in a second, but where are the biggest holes still left on this roster, and where can Maryland fans expect Mike Loxley to go looking for bodies in the grad and otherwise transfer market? Because the transfer portal is getting hot. Yeah, I would still expect 
they'll try to add a lineman or two with that, maybe a linebacker as well. Um, the pipe dream of Ayabi Anoma is not happening. That lasted for 10 seconds, and I immediately responded on Twitter saying, you can't expect good things to happen for Maryland football, and I know you might hate it when I say that, but what evidence do you have to suggest that good things happen for Maryland football, other than occasionally you get a Cajun quarterback? I mean, here's the thing. is I, I will say as much as if he was leaving, I imagine it would have had to be to Maryland, but, you know, you kind of want kids to pan out when they make a decision like that. Cause that's an, you know, it's an important decision. Now I will and... say this. I will say this. If it turns out you didn't make the right decision and some of us at that age do not make the right decision, you want to give them another opportunity to, but mm-hmm. it shows that there is an entire now undermarket of players, really high level recruits that go to these big schools and don't pan out and need a second chance. And I talked about this in recent shows at how, Maryland should be the leader in many ways in that kind of market. And particularly for players that are very highly rated recruits out of the DMV, and we've kind of seen that in some ways. But you want them to pan out, but then again, you also want them to get a second chance if it doesn't, because for everybody, I mean, going to Alabama is hard. And no matter how good of a recruit you are, you might not make the grade there because it's Alabama. And this happens with a lot of other places too. And kids can change their decisions because, again, these are 18, 19, excuse me, 20 year old kids. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard. Yabi and Noma would be great to have at Maryland, but when, when things like that happen, I am now inherently cynical of the opportunity that they could end up coming to Maryland because I have no evidence to suggest that they do. Sometimes they do, but 90% of the time they don't. So I'm not going to get excited until it actually happens, but maybe that's because I'm so burnt out by Maryland football, bad things happening that I am well beyond the point of expecting good things to happen. That's fair. I can't blame any of you if you think that way. But in terms of players that Maryland could end up still getting, I mean, we don't have specific names, but in positions, you talked about the lines. I think corner, you would still think maybe offensive line, I think. I'm not sure where they are in terms of bodies, but when you sign freshmen to come in a following year, you don't often want them to play. And that's even with the five-star guys. And Maryland for years had been redshirting five-star guys on the offensive line to give them a year in the weight room. And they're going to need bodies there too, I would think, right? Yeah, I mean, offensive line and defensive line were the ones where I was mostly still worried uh, there was linebacker. They might still try and get a quarterback transfer, but I'd be surprised at this point with Lejean in the fold and everyone else still on scholarship there. Um, So I, I think they addressed a lot of their needs uh, in the recruiting class, they got those late additions that they were hoping to get. Um, probably still a couple on the lines, maybe a few guys who, you know, would sit a year and then um, offensive line is probably the one you need as many people competing for spots now is is what I would say there. I can't imagine any names, but there are obviously names that are going to pop up. And I think that's probably where Mike Loxley would get the most out of the transfer market. There is also the bizarre and the wacky that comes with recruiting and signing day. And Nick Cross, the safety, as you mentioned, is the number one player in Maryland, did not sign. He was originally committed to FSU. And when you don't sign and you are a player in this area, everybody will now start to automatically assume that Maryland is involved. And you would be right. They are. Penn State is also involved. This is bizarre. And this is not the first time we've seen something like this, Thomas. But Maryland 
being involved here is obviously something you want to see. We don't have any idea what the situation is, really. It just came out of nowhere when something like this happens. So get background on this situation because this is a player if Maryland, if they could get them, would be absolutely doing cartwheels. Yeah, so so Nick Cross is the number 55 player in the country. If theoretically Maryland were to get him, he'd be like their best recruit since Damian Prince. Um, and he's been committed to FSU since May or June, I think. Uh, he didn't sign with them early. His parents are kind of out on FSU. His parents want him to go to Penn State. Um, I think Maryland is like both his and his parents' second choice. And also George is in the mix somehow. Gross. Also, he's a track star. And so like the track reporters are are writing about this. Um, He's the he's like number two in the country in the 55 yard dash, 55 meter dash. So. Yeah, he's like a, a fascinating prospect. Because he'll probably run track wherever he goes to, and Penn State's better at track than Maryland. That's unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. That's really unfortunate, but that's just another element of weird recruiting things that happen. So, is there anything else that we missed with this recruiting class? I think that covers just about everything. It's now a matter of what kind of grad transfers and normal transfers that Mike Loxley could get, but I think in the end, to get a recruiting class like this when you had two weeks to cobble it together, you didn't really have a coaching staff, and obviously he was kind of occupied through most of this period with Alabama. It's pretty good for Mike Loxley, and it gives him a platform for Thomas next year, which is one of the most intriguing recruiting classes in the history of Maryland football because of how good the talent is out of the DMV. Yeah, so the last thing real quick about 2019 is Tavion Land, the cornerback. Uh, who flipped from Maryland to Liberty. He was in the, the, what I've gathered on this is he was in kind of a weird spot where like the staff would take him, but he was kind of lower on their priority list. Um, he's a highly rated prospects, but a lot of people will evaluate him differently because he's a pretty solid player, but he's five, six and it's very hard to project how a five, six corner will translate when they go up to the next level. And so Maryland would have, as I understand it, liked to have him, but wasn't super crushed when he left. And, you know, now he's with Hugh Freeze and Liberty and all that. So let's not God's talk plan. any more about Liberty University, because then I might have to do more surgery on this podcast. That's fair. Um, yeah. But the, the 2020 class is really what will set the tone for Mike Loxley's whole time at Maryland. There is so much dmv talent after 2019 was a relatively weak year for dmv talent um like st john's by itself has four top 100 players in the country and maryland hasn't gotten a top 100 player since 2016 yeah actually no anthony mcfarland in 2017 was number 100 so there's just so many different guys the number one overall recruit goes to damascus Maryland was his first offer like five coaches ago. Um, yeah, that, that seems like a thing that would happen. There's just so much talent locally, you know, and, and Loxley and his staff, they, they kind of went outside like seven or seven players in the 2019 class or immediate DMV and 10 are kind of from around, you know, East Coast, 
couple from Ohio and Wisconsin and uh, obviously New Orleans. But in 2020, if you can keep a reasonable amount of DMV talent home, you're looking at a great class. I mean, I looked at the top 20 on uh, 24-7 right now. Three of the top 20 are DMV guys, which is crazy because that doesn't happen. Even though this is a talent-rich area, it's not normally that talent-rich. And again, how many of them can you get? Who the heck knows? But you've got the ace DMV recruiter in your back pocket, and you will have presumably the second recruiting class, I think, Thomas, is often the best for these coaches because you have all the excitement about something new, and there's not a lot of evidence to suggest that it's going to go wrong yet if you're going to be cynical about it, as I often am. So DJ Durkin's second recruiting class, for instance, was really, really good. And Randy Edsel got Stefan Diggs in his second recruiting class. So that's the kind of thing. Like, if Mike Loxley can hit it out of the park in his second recruiting class, they were like 60th this year. We could be talking top 15 if he can do it right. And there's a lot that still is going to happen with that. And that is not my area of expertise. There are people uh, out there, our friends here, and all over the Maryland sphere that are going to be able to cover that in much better detail than I can personally. But that to me is so fascinating is if this is the platform for what comes next, and Lamar, you could jump in on this too, then there's the potential for a lot of talent coming in and you get once in a generation this kind of amount of talent in your backyard if you're not in the South, I guess. And there's an opportunity for Maryland to really, really do something special here if they can get 33% of this talent to stay at home. So this is where Mike Loxley can back up that resume. Uh, he's looked at as like a godfather figure around this area. All the local coaches love him. And it's because he's built personal relationships and he comes off as a genuine person. Now, if he can sell the weird wall around the DMV gift to all of the families and all, like at least, like you said, like, 25, 35, uh, 33% of these kids stay home. You're looking at a special class and it not, it really, the DMV to UMD thing that Durkin was, Durkin harped on can really come to life under Loxley if he's able to do it right in this next class and build something special. I mean, it's, what is it, like five or six of the top 50 on 24-7, now that I go even further down the list, are DMV guys? That just never happens. And I don't know how many Maryland can get. It is very early. There's a long way to go in recruiting. Some of them are already committed, but recruits flip all the time. We'll see what Maryland can do. But this, they kept their powder dry for 2020, and this is a big test for Mike Loxley to see how well this pipeline works. And some of it is going to have to do with on the field, but a lot of it's going to have to do with what Mike Loxley can sell. And having the guy to sell this is going to be very, very interesting indeed. So that seems to be it for the football-related things. The football starting during a basketball podcast normally, because this is February. We normally focus our time starting on men's basketball on this. And let's get to that now, Thomas, because we're recording after Maryland and Bruno Fernando ended the life of a poor Nebraska basketball player. And this in many ways reminds me of the Northwestern game, where I don't think you can really take a lot out of this because the team they were playing was so awful like, Nebraska could not shoot the ball for their lives. Like, Northwestern couldn't shoot it for their lives. The only difference is this is on the road. And if you do that on the road, it's a lot different than if you do it at home. There's not a ton to take out of that game other than Maryland kind of played the same way they did against Northwestern. They weren't great offensively, but defensively they were locked in, and the other team they played couldn't shoot. And that means Maryland was kind of in control for most of the game. But they were only up by two at one point. And then Aaron Wiggins hit a three, and that was basically the ball game after that. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that to me was, is the big takeaway there in that, you know, they, they were down a few times. Jalen Smith, he took over the game sort of midway through the first half. He, Maryland was down 15-8, and Jalen Smith scored the next 11 points, and Maryland as a team scored the next, I think, 15 points. Nebraska went 11 minutes without a field goal, which is even a drought I don't think Maryland could pull off. Yeah, I mean, they are they are slumping and, and then some, but, you know, they, they still have some talent. They still have some guys. They, they'll probably, I don't know, win a few games, but you, you see the problems with them pretty clearly um and so for for maryland to go in in a game where they like they weren't favored in this game because people didn't realize where nebraska was at and you know i didn't know you really can't expect that but i kind of knew you were kind of getting the the inklings of it but you didn't when you see it you weren't expecting it to be like that no i mean and that's one for the second time in three games maryland's played against a team that just couldn't make a shot and, you know, Nebraska shooting 21% in its own building. I mean, you can't think bank about that, that for a second. You know, a bad shooting night's 30%. If you shoot 30% from the field and that's a bad night, they shot 22% at home. Hey, it could be worse. They could, they could be NC State. That is true. It could be NC State and our old friends in the ACC who scored 24 points in the entire game. Which, when I saw that, I went, no, that's not actually happening in a real basketball game at a D1 level when NC State was ranked. I don't think they were ranked at the time, but... They were. They, you were, well, they were, and it was against Virginia This is the Tech. fewest points by a ranked team, I think, in the shot, clock, the shot clock, era. clock era. Yeah. Yeah. Which is just... I, I don't know how you can play that badly on offense, but that's a conference that Maryland was once associated with, and how about... By the way, are associated let's with? not... Uh, just someone tell Mark Turgeon it's not a challenge. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was about to say, like, wait a minute. That's not a challenge. No, no, no. Don't, could you, don't go could you imagine the message boards if Mark Tur- if a Mark Turgeon Maryland team shot 9 of 54 at home? Oh, God. I think they might go blank. They, like, they did, like, the, our side would absolutely crash. And, like, everyone, every Maryland side would just crash and there'd be, so I think, there'd be I an think actual riot. There might be. I think that there was, what, like, nearly 600 comments on the thread when Maryland lost to Wisconsin. I can't imagine how many comments there would be if something like that happened. Yeah. I fear for you, I fear for our editors, and I fear for the SB Nation overlords who'd have to come in and clean that up eventually. <laughs> well, I'm glad it's not there. I'm glad it it's not, it hasn't happened yet. yet, but I always have an irrational fear that it might one day. But Jalen Smith, as you said, very, very big game for him. He had been struggling mightily in recent games, and there's been a lot of talk about Jalen Smith, and I saw some comparisons for Maryland fans on Twitter that I don't want to mention because they're not true, but he needed a kind of game like that, and he had a really good game against Nebraska the first time, and that was in Nebraska with Isaac Copeland, so is this the game that sparks Jalen Smith into life when Maryland is absolutely going to need him when they play Purdue, Michigan, Iowa, and the rest of them? Is this finally the game that we see Jalen Smith where everyone thought we'd see the Jalen Smith, which we haven't really seen in a while? I mean, I'm still not sure what the Jalen Smith is. I mean, we've known really all year what he's capable of. It's about how much of that he can capture against teams that are going to make life a little more difficult for him, teams with more size, teams with more physicality. Um, Nebraska doesn't have that anymore. With Copeland out, they have Roby, who's a like stretch five, and they really don't have 
enough other size. They have Tanner Borkhart, or at least they used to. They and did. They did have him. They yeah. didn't have him anymore. Yeah, I mean, and so as a result, Jalen Smith was able to, you know, exploit Nebraska's lack of size. And Maryland's two bigs both had double-doubles, and they dominated the game. Bruno Fernandez had 19 rebounds, which is the most since Jordan Williams, which it was first the it was when he had 18 was the most since Chuck Mitchell, and then when he got the 19th, and Kevin Kugler said that I'm like, okay, that's a little bit better for comparison for Bruno Fernando. No offense to Chuck Mitchell, I, I'd much rather be compared to Jordan Williams. Yeah, and and I wouldn't put it past him to like get 20 in a game. Go I think 20, that's a challenge he wants to accept. As, oh, as, absolutely. As we see, and. Again, I just love watching him play, and it's a shame that we won't be able to watch him play at Maryland next year because it's just been so enjoyable to watch him grow this year and just take over games, and not just because of the dunks. And I mean, that's great, but everything about him is just infinite fun, and there has not been a player to watch for Maryland. I mean, Mellow Trimble's been like that, of course, and they've had other great players, but there's been no one with that kind of energy and that fun and then that just, I'm going to take over a game and there's nothing you can do about it, like, uh, like Bruno Fernando. And the other thing about that game, Thomas, which was fascinating, is Anthony Cowan did almost nothing offensively. He was almost entirely quiet, but they didn't need him. They didn't need him. No, I mean, and that's the second time in three games where Maryland's defense has been so good, the offense has been able to with, withstand an off night from Cowan. Um, and I think that's one that... That Maryland could ill afford to have that happen again because if that happens, they're going to lose. Hey, past Matt, you were wrong again. Congratulations. Yeah, well, at the same time, it's, you know, I didn't think Nebraska was going to do what Northwestern did. I mean, I don't think anyone did. Because yeah, didn't you go and... into that game with a little bit of an irrational fear, like, uh-oh, this isn't going to happen, is it? Yeah, I mean, because, like, all the metrics still had Nebraska winning, and Vegas still had Nebraska winning, even though they'd lost five straight and they'd you know, we're not what they were. Well, let's be honest. In the Big Ten this year, that doesn't matter because, as we saw, Maryland woke Illinois up. You know, and I prefer and- I prefer to th- I prefer to think of it as Illinois decided to wake up like the day before they started playing Maryland. Before the day before they played Maryland, it's possible. But yes, they beat Michigan State. I was going to make fun of a friend of mine who is a big Michigan State fan, and then I realized, well, wait, Maryland lost to Illinois too on a neutral floor, so that's even worse. Yeah. So, uh, Lamar, let's get to this game. And I, I do want to say something about the Wisconsin game briefly. And it's one of those games where, again, as I said, I don't know if you could take a ton out of it because Nebraska was so bad offensively, and that is not something that's going to happen very often, especially against real teams. And Maryland's next three games are uh, ranked teams who are very real. So what, what is the big takeaway for Maryland? It's the second time they bounced back from a not great loss with a suffocating defensive performance. The only difference was this one was on the road. But, again, the team is not one like Maryland will play the rest of the way unless they play them in the Big Ten tournament. And for that, again, I don't think we could take a ton out of it. Can, can we? So the good thing is that, like Thomas said before, is like they withstood a couple of runs. Like that's the most important thing to like take out of this Nebraska game. Other than that, you're happy to see it, see the outcome. But I think they said that was uh, – either Nebraska's worst shooting performance at home ever or it ended up as, like, their second worst. It was so. the worst at their new building because they had an old building okay. before they moved in. It was the worst shooting performance ever at that current building. Yeah, so that 
do you you we, uh we were a part of history <laughs> it and not history. The it's like it's like that uh it's like the uh that Rutgers game from the football season there's like not much to take out of it it's not like that's like because you're not going to play a game like that ever again. But yeah, defensively they were keyed in for the second time in three games. They were dominant defensively, and again, it helps to play a team that can't shoot. But Mark Turgeon's teams have always prided themselves on defense. But even then, I mean, this defensive performance was really solid. They had no bigs, but they didn't really matter because they couldn't hit anything. And that's some of it. Yeah, give credit to Maryland's defense for that. Oh, for sure. They played stellar defense on that, and uh, and they also both you could see that they were focusing on their transition defense. While Nebraska is not a team that's going to run that often and isn't as dangerous in the open court, uh, it was still good to see them limit Nebraska. I, I think it was like two fast break points for the entire game. Uh, so you're not going to play a game like that again, but it's a uh, good win and. Easy to take like a couple of things with you, but the next three games are just going to be terrible. Well, terrible is in they're going to be really hard, but I do want to say yeah, something. not and well, they might uh, be terrible how, depending on the results. Yeah, we'll see. Lord willing, they're not terrible, but they could be terrible depending on the results. There is uh, something I do want to say about the Wisconsin game, and they played pretty well in the first half, but that awful turnover that led to the Pritzel three, and then. After Maryland withstood a couple of Wisconsin runs and when they just couldn't take the lead, I was thinking to myself, is Maryland going to survive that? Because they actually played a pretty good first half. Eric Ayala was hitting everything. And I thought this was one of their better first halves until that last play. But it took until the very end of that game for Wisconsin to take over. Maryland started to go dry, and these things have happened. But, again, as I think we saw in the Nebraska game, and Mark Turgeon said, they worked Thomas on their transition defense. They worked on end-of-half situations. They ended a half well for the first time in probably a month. So these are things that they absolutely have to have nailed down when they play their next three big games. And it looks like the things that they know they needed to improve upon, they did. And now they've got six days to improve upon it even more before one of their biggest games of the season. And that's going to help even more, you would think. Yeah, the one thing that they still do need to work on is forcing turnovers. I mean, that's a big part of the reason they've been getting killed in the points off turnovers category is they're just not forcing any themselves. Um, They are like 330th, I think, in the country in steal percentage. And, you know, when you don't get steals, not only does the other team keep the ball and usually get a shot, but... Um, you know, those are easy points if you can turn them, you know, get transition opportunities, especially with this team with a lot of athletes. And so that is, we thought that that was going to be one of their strengths this year. Yeah. I mean, they just haven't had opportunities to do it. I mean, because in, in, in games, when you play the defense that they play and because they're such a good rebounding team, it doesn't kill you as much as it might. If they weren't as good on the glass, they have to be one of the best teams in the country at rebounding. And they are, they're averaging, 10 more rebounds than their opponents per game, and they're great on the offensive glass, too. So, but you're right. I mean, when they turn the ball over as much as they do, and they always do, and they don't force them, you need to be much more sound when you get to latent situations in shot clocks, and you have to rebound, and you have to force bad shots. And in some cases, they've done that this year, and in other cases, when they don't, Michigan State happens, or the game against Illinois happens, and 
these are things that I think Maryland's got to work on. But as I said, you got six days to prepare for what is probably the most brutal stretch of three games that Maryland has ever played in the Big Ten. Purdue at home, then at Michigan, and then at Iowa. And some quick words on that. We will not focus on Michigan and Iowa because we'll have another podcast before those games. But for Purdue, they almost beat them on the road when Purdue was not what they are now. And Maryland was, I wouldn't say they weren't better, but they certainly had a chance to win that game and threw it away. Now you get them at home, and every time we have one of these games, if they were playing on the road, I'd be like, they don't really have much of a chance. But since they're playing at Xfinity Center, and that is a great equalizer, I'm not saying they're favored, but this is the kind of game that Maryland should feel pretty decent going into, no matter how well Purdue is playing, because they hung really tough with them on the road. And when you play at Xfinity Center and the students are back, that building's going to be full, even if it's a weird 6.30 start. That's the kind of game that Maryland normally gets up for. And even though they haven't played pretty well against Purdue since, I don't know, 2016, that's the kind of game that Maryland, I think they're due to win one of them, right? Because home court's meant so much this year in the Big Ten, except in very odd circumstances. Yeah, I mean, you would, you would hope that they, you know, the crowd gets up for that, Maryland gets up for that. Purdue is it. It is kind of hard to be like excited about that game for that reason. That Maryland just hasn't beaten Purdue in years, and even though they've played close games, you know it's always been Purdue kind of pulling it out. So it's like it's a matchup that's given Maryland troubles recently. But they should have won the game in December when when the two teams met, and that was on the road. And so it's it's a little from a fan's perspective, it's a little bit of optimism and pessimism. Um, really, as far as the game plan, you just have to try and slow down Carson Edwards however you can. I mean, they have a couple good perimeter defenders, but... And they're not, you know, Isaac Haas, Biggie Swanigan. It's not that team anymore. Maryland should mm-hmm. be able to get something going inside. You hope. Yeah, this is the one year Maryland's, like, bigger and stronger than Purdue. Well, I also think like it's interesting because we're now starting to see what happens when you play a team a second time, and that's happening more in the Big Ten than it used to uh, because of the 20 games. And Maryland, different against Nebraska. Wisconsin played them better. We're starting to see what happens when you go the second time around against a team. And I want to see how Maryland defends against Carson Edwards. You can't contain him, but you can limit him for stretches, and Maryland should be able to do that at home. And again, they're just a better team at home than they are on the road. This is not a team that has been going over 11 years without winning a road game against a ranked team. You know, this is a team that has beaten multiple ranked teams at home already this season. They aren't highly ranked, but Purdue's going to be like 15th, I think, unless they lose to Nebraska on Saturday. Uh, But just having that game at home helps, and every quad one win helps them get better seeds in bracketology, and it's going to help them get a better seed in March when they need it. Because right now they're probably a six seed. So, Lamar, what do you think about Purdue? And I'll have a quick word on bracketology in a second. So, yeah, you definitely take some confidence into Purdue uh, if you're the team because you, you know that she's like you almost got them in their house. And even though they're a different team now, that's like still like a motivating factor you can keep in your head. And when you're at home at Xfinity Center, there's – I wonder what the fans are going to chant. Because there's no Isaac Haas to chant, you are ugly at, for the entire game. Uh, well, you can't but, chant, should have played soccer at, uh, at, at, at Harms, because he's too big for that. Yeah. Uh, but I think 
It's a game just Purdue. You get the second shot Purdue, and you gotta make the most of that. But at the same time, this is a Purdue team where like they were not clicking as much earlier in the season, and now Carson Edwards is playing uh, better. And like you get him on a slightly off game the first time, um, and then you still lose. So you, again, it's you don't know. It's hard to feel about it as like an observer, but like as the team is like, you just got to uh, know that you almost took them down at their spot. And like, now you're home. You got to defend the home court, get your re- uh, revenge. It's, it's kind of one of those games where Maryland, it's not one that I would say they should win, but it's one they'll think they'll have a chance to win, which they don't have many of them left. I mean, Ohio state and Minnesota at home are ones that Maryland probably should win. And Penn state on the road is one they probably should win, but they don't have many of them. Otherwise, and I do want to say, Thomas, one thing on bracketology before we go over to the women. They're right now, I would think, mostly as a six seed. The NCAA is going to release the top 16 seeds on Saturday afternoon, and Maryland's not going to be involved in that. If you beat Purdue, you probably move up a seed line, uh, and the way that they play in these last couple of big games is going to determine what their seed is. It would take a cataclysm for them to miss the tournament at this point. It would take a cataclysm for them to not be a relatively decent seed. But right now, you're a six, and if you want to move up those seed lines, you got to win games like this. And Maryland is competing with a lot of teams in their same league for those seeds. Yeah, and teams like Iowa, too. Uh, Purdue, obviously. Wisconsin. Um, yeah, I mean, I mentioned those other two because they still play them, and they still have a chance to sort of establish a head-to-head win. Um Wisconsin, they got a split with Purdue. They're going for a split with Iowa's going to be tough on the road. Maybe they can play Michigan close and maybe take one of them. Well, I think that I'd be yeah, you, 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 if you pull back something when you go to play it, you know, in, in Ann Arbor, that's fine because you get them at home and you know that that's going to be the one where Maryland really goes all out. That's the, I don't know, have they had the gold rush game yet? No, apparently. Okay, a couple things. Justin uh, was talking to us last night, and he found the promotion schedule. Gold Rush is Minnesota. Uh, which is senior day. Why would they do that which on is, senior day? That makes no sense. I don't know, but I now forget which game. Red Panda's coming back. Oh, oh I would think it would be Michigan because it's a weekend. Why not? Yeah, I forget which one it is now. Well, but, we'll figure that Panda's out, and you'll, you'll know about that very soon, because, of course, we are a Red Panda podcast. That's what we talked about most of the season last year. But, yes. I mean, if there's any game that Xfinity Center is going to be up for, it's the Michigan home game, obviously. So It I, should be. I mean, 4 o'clock yeah. on Sunday is weird. 4, but, yeah, four just, o'clock on Sunday against a team in the top 10. I think you could get people to show up. Yeah, for, they'll be fine. Just check the chat, and, yep, Red Panda's back from Michigan. Yeah, that's going to be the game. That's the game. I'm excited for that. I mean, cannot be excited for Red Panda. She's the GOAT. She is absolutely. I mean, they had halftime shows. I was watching one of the college basketball games a couple nights ago, and it was the chainsaw dude who was tossing around chainsaws. I'm like, Red Panda's still better. And they said that at the halftime show. Like, we want Red Panda. So there, there you have it. But uh, one more word on bracketology. I, I think that their ceiling's probably still a four seed, but you want to be able to beat some of these teams in order to get a chance to get that seed line. And again, if you're a four seed, you're going to get a more advantageous location than if you're a five seed and they're going to ship you out to San Jose. Like when they were a five seed and they had to go out to 
friggin' Spokane. You know, the higher seed, the easier it's going to be for you in travel, and the more Maryland fans will show up. So, there's that, too. So, that, I think, has covered all of the men, uh, men's basketball topics. The women are playing as we speak. When I last saw it, it was 27-10. to 10. Northwestern has a better conference record than I thought, Thomas, but uh, Maryland's blowing them out. That is not surprising. Obviously, you'll know what the final score is by the time you listen to this show. So, uh, for them, they're starting to put in gear. They didn't blow out Illinois the way I thought they were going to blow out Illinois over the weekend, but they played pretty dang well for most of that game. They beat up Wisconsin. Northwestern's a pretty winnable game, and now we get into the stretch that we talked about. They go to Rutgers on Sunday. A week from that, they go to Iowa. The difficult games are coming, but it seems like Brenda Fries' team is starting to round into form. They really are, and I think a lot of that is Shakira Austin uh, has really... You know, when Maryland was playing great early in the season, Shakira Austin was a big reason for that. When Maryland was struggling through the start of conference play, Shakira Austin was a big part of that. Maryland has looked a lot more convincing, a lot more efficient of late, and Shakira Austin is playing like the player that we all know she can be. Um, you know, it's it's been a fascinating team to watch just because they have a lot of really solid players and Kyla Charles is like the leading scorer, but she's not a a deep threat. And Taylor Mikesell is probably the most like consistent player they've got. So it's been kind of a fascinating team to watch, but the talent is there. They're, you know, I think tied at the top of the big 10 right now. So they're sort of hitting their stride. I think they're going to have a chance to pick up, you know, real quality wins over the next little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, see if they can, you know, I, I, I thought they could pretty easily win the Big Ten regular season title. It turns out the Big Ten is, uh, you know, a lot deeper than I thought it would be at the start of the year. But they've still got a very good shot at taking at least the regular season crown. Okay, we'll give you multiple updates. As I'm checking the score right now, this gives you an idea of when we're recording this. Maryland is beating uh, Northwestern 41-19. to Northwestern is fourth in the Big Ten, and Maryland is absolutely destroying them. And Northwestern has overachieved this year. But the next two, I mean, it's not their next two games, but Rutgers on the road, they haven't lost a game at home. And then Iowa on the road, they haven't lost a game at home yet. So if Maryland can win both of those, and I'm not saying they're going to, these are going to be probably the most difficult games they've played all year then that would be a, a great sign. And now that they're rounding into form, you could start to see what you would expect from this Maryland team now more than ever. And as bracketology goes, I checked some of the women's bracketology. They're a three seed. I guess the ceiling for them is probably a two unless they absolutely run the table and everything above them goes to chaos. But it seems pretty likely they're going to be hosting games in College Park this year, which is obviously nice. But... The fact now that they're rounding into form right before their biggest games are coming in, that's, I think, very, very important for this Maryland team. And they're getting there. They're getting there. And that's a, that's a good sign. Uh, men's lacrosse started. They beat Bucknell. High Point beat Duke, which was hilarious. That was nice. Yes, lacrosse season is off to a good start. It is a very good start. Uh, anything about that that you'd like to mention? Not really. I think the big takeaway from, from Saturday is um, – Two things. Number one, Logan Wisnowskis is very much a part of this. All the talk was about Jared Bernhardt. Uh, Bubba Fairman was a top recruit in the country. And Logan Wisnowskis scores four goals in the first game. 
he is, and he was like second on the team in goals scored last year too. So he's very much right in the thick of things and shame on all of us for kind of forgetting about him. It's um, funny how John Tillman teams, you always talk about them being defensively incredibly good. And then they, because they recruit amazing offensive talent, they just score bags of goals because that's what they can do, even though they're really great defensively. That's always, a, when I covered this team a couple years ago, that was the thing that people told me was you focus on the defense. That's where they're really good. That's where they're schemed to be the best. And then they've got all this offensive talent that kind of freestyles and can be incredibly deep. And then they just do what they do. And it's hard to stop. And it's hard to stop that, especially when you've got a team that is as good defensively as they are. And then they've got the attackers that they do. So don't think many people are worried about Maryland lacrosse. It's just and in goal, in goal was kind of the one worrying spot this year. Uh, Danny Dolan looked good in his first outing. And we'll see. There's a lot. The jury, the jury's play. still out. Promising start. It's Maryland. There's talent. They're gonna be fine. I, I have never once worried about a Maryland uh, men's lacrosse team until it's Memorial Day weekend. So, I, yep. I should also mention that earlier this week we had the uh, Maryland. Everyone goes to the Wizards game to up the attendance by fifty percent. Sorry, uh, and everyone watched Kevin Herter have a great game. It was great. Yeah, and so we're going to pretend that uh, that's a big reason that Maryland played the way it did. Uh, that plus Mark Turgeon's dad lives near Lincoln, and so like it was his birthday, and so he got to travel and see his family on his birthday. Isn't that and, nice? Yeah, and seeing Kevin Herter gave him a jolt. So, I don't know. Played, Lamar, he's played a lot better for the Hawks than I think any of us thought he was going to. Yeah, I thought it would be about he tapped like a similar learning curve to when he came to Maryland, like be a solid player his first year and then have one of those sophomore bumps. And he's played really, really well as of late still. Why isn't he in the shooter. shooting contest? He should be because that's what he exists Because he plays for. for the Hawks. I know he plays for the Hawks, but I mean – Listen, I'm not – the NBA, the all-star draft is going on right now, and the NHL did that, and it was fun because when the players were doing that draft, they were all drunk. That was very entertaining. NBA players are too self-aware at this point to be smashed when that's happening. So, I mean, but still, NBA Saturday night, we all watched for the dunk contest, but I would have watched for the three-point contest if Kevin Herter was in it. Why isn't he, though? He's one of the – I mean, he's not one of the best three-point shooters yet, but, I mean, he's going to be in it in one of the next couple of years, right? He More importantly, is he, isn't he? is he not in the Rising Stars game? I do not know if he's in the Rising Stars game. Let me look that up for you right nah, now. No, he's not. He's not in the Rising that's, Stars that's game. That's where the outrage is. Yeah. The, the like, roster is absolutely... for team uh, for Team USA. Jared Allen, Marvin Bagley, Lonzo Ball's injured. John Collins. So he made it, but uh, Kevin Herter couldn't. Trey Young also made it. I guess you can't have three Hawks on the same team. but Shame. I, seriously, like... He, they kind of should be in that game because he's amazing. And it's like everybody's watching the Hawks and going, they're not as bad as he thought they'd be. And that's because Kevin Herter's really good. I mean, I did enjoy the picture of him in an Atlanta United shirt from when he was drafted. And that's mainly only for me because I follow soccer like that. But, I mean, the fact that he's playing really well right now in the NBA has got to be nice for Mark Turgeon because he can recruit off of that. Because the last couple of Maryland players that went to the NBA haven't necessarily had the smoothest transition to the show. And Kevin Herter is having a much better transition than anybody could have ever imagined. And that's pretty nice. Well, 
Lehman's playing well now. He is playing well now. It just took three years. Hey, it happens to be that not everybody going to the NBA has to be Jimon Stone or Justin Jackson. Sorry. Did yep. you see the uh, Did you see the Mellow Trimble stuff recently? Apparently, yeah, it's all the Mellow stuff. MVP of the of the With, basketball league, and then he tweets, "I miss Maryland." Did you see uh, who he's competing for MVP with? I would love to know. I should have paid. NBA, attention. 2006 NBA number one draft pick Andrew Bogut. Really, eh? That's that's pretty yep. good. Well, that's not a surprise because he's Australian, but if Melo Trimble wins yeah. that, I, as I said, I know some Australian broadcasters, and I said, you got to know, the guy who, who's going to win MVP of the league is one of my favorite basketball players I've ever watched because he went to my school, and he spent life just draining shots and just killing people's lives by doing that repeatedly. Also, it was really funny. I was watching Michigan State-Illinois, and I don't know why I remember this happening, but I do remember this happening. Uh, Dan Dockich, who I know most people don't like, but I actually enjoy listening to him call games. I might be the only one. Uh, he was saying, with regards to somebody who would go, had that drive to the paint, jerk their head back and draw a foul, and he was like, that's like what Mello Trimble did, and, and Dave Fleming said, that might be a little too inside the Big Ten. And, like, if that's too inside the Big Ten, that was, like, four years ago. Did I, did I completely botch that reference, or did I just not no, say it clearly? I didn't watch the game, but uh, that's kind of amazing. I didn't. I wish I had heard Dockett say that. He did absolutely say it. I can swear to you on my life, he said it. And no, he said, I that's too inside Big Ten. And it's like, wait a minute. We're, we're, it still doesn't feel like Maryland belongs in the Big Ten. And now a mellow Trimble reference is too inside the Big Ten, which is, which is entirely bemusing to me, isn't it? I see what you mean now. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I've been trying to watch some of these Big Ten games to get an idea of the rest of the conference, and I'm watching Penn State, Ohio State right now. That was probably a bad decision, but regardless of this, uh, we'll be back next week where hopefully Maryland will have a home win against Purdue that we could talk about. Anything else I missed, Thomas? No, I don't think so. Okay. I, I will let you know by next week if any Maryland players are playing in the Alliance of American Football. I don't know if that is a thing, but if it is, I'm going to make it a thing because we're going to need things to talk about because we are now finally done with the 50-minute podcast where we have too much football to talk about and basketball to get to, and we'll have one game next week. So, well, we'll be able to take a break and relax a little bit. Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Please, let's go celebrate Bruno Fernando and our Cajun quarterback. And until then, of course, go Terps.